Good morning, everybody. If you don't know me, my name is Dan Meyer. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I want to do something a little different. This was unscripted, but I was just thinking about it there. Since it's Thanksgiving weekend and all, and we got so many new faces in the room and visitors and everything, um, just think for a minute, okay? Maybe you spent some time doing this earlier in the week, so it shouldn't be difficult. Just think for a minute about things that you're thankful for. Think of a person, group of people. Think of something that is just proclaiming the faithfulness and the goodness of God in your life right now. Just think of that. Those verses that we read there just said, rejoice, exclamation point. You guys know what an exclamation point does, right? You know what that does, right? So I, I want to I just take a minute, and I want you just to lift your voices, and I want you just to say what it is that you're thankful for with an exclamation point on the end of it, okay? We're all just going to do it at the same time, all right? So your voice isn't even going to be heard in the mix, you don't have to worry if it's squeaky or if you're, you can barely talk like, like Pastor Lori. It's okay, all right? Let's just in unison, in one accord, in, as the people of God, as the children of God, just tell our daddy what we're thankful for. Can we do that together? With an exclamation point. It can be one thing. It can be five. Let's just, take, let's just take 10 or 15 seconds and let's just do that. You ready? One, two, three, go. God, thank you so much for your family. We love you, God. You're a good God. You're faithful. We love you. There you go. Wasn't too painful, huh? Just give God a hand. God, we love you. In the story of the people of God, over and over again, they would just do things like that. A little bit awkward at times, right? Right? They would, they would give God clap offerings and, and thanksgiving offerings. You can read about these things in the New Testament. Sometimes they just take, they'd be enjoying some wine and they just say, praise God, and just pour some out on the ground as an offering to God. I'm not going to enjoy that. It's, it's good, but I'm going to pour it out as, a, as an act of worship, as an act of praise. And whatever they were doing, just incorporating a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving, right? This is part of God's desire for us as his people. It tells us in 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing in everything, give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All right, that's, that's part of what God plans for us as his people. Part of our story, part of the story of our daily life. And in our, in our origin series that we started uh, four weeks ago, there's a little bit of a transition this week. It's still origins. Those of you that have an eye for detail, you'll notice that your fridge fold is now red, not green. You're like, ooh, how festive. Right? Some of you, like, you looked at that and it just made you smile, you know? That, that's good. But we're doing a little bit of a, of a shift here to Origins Phase 2, okay? And Phase 2 is really about the story of people, all right? It, it's, we're going to be look, taking a look at, look at a few people from Jesus' family line. So um, we're going to look at Jacob today, and then we're going to look at Rahab, Ruth, and Josiah, Right? And each one of these stories, and in so many more in the, in the story of the, of the Old Testament specifically that we're looking at here, the, the story of Jesus, the foreshadowing of Jesus is woven in. And we're doing that because we're looking forward to Advent. As we started our Advent celebration, our Advent reading, and looking forward to 
the coming of, of the Savior, right? And so also in Origins, we're going to see this countercultural and even scandalous origin within Jesus' human side, right? Jesus is 100% man and 100% God, fully human, fully God, right? And, and yet in the midst of, of Jesus' um, genealogy and kind of looking at his descendants who are recorded, the story isn't always pretty. They're, this, Jesus actually takes the skeletons and out of the closet and just says, here, why don't you take a look at these, right? He doesn't hide. He's not ashamed at who his people are because he knows who his God is as a man, speaking of Jesus as a man and his dependency upon God, right? And so we look at these different things, these scandalous origins. Jesus included women in his genealogy. That was unheard of in his time, right? Not just any woman or any set of women, multiple women, but including even Rahab, who we're going to talk about, uh, who's a prostitute, right? These things that, that we would like to sweep under the rug. Maybe you experienced some of that in your family gatherings this week, Things you just wanted to kind of sweep under the rug. Oh, Uncle Bill's talking about that thing again. You know? We have those, those challenges in our relationships. We have those challenges in our story to live out a godly story. To be icons of God in this world, right? To, to reflect the beauty of who he is. And so as we look at some of these stories... I'm not using story to talk about like a fable or a children's thing. A story is what we're all living out. It's our narrative. And we're looking at these historical narratives. And so as we look through the lives of these different people, and we're going to go to the Old Testament, and you can open up if you want to, to Genesis. If you've got your Bible, you can open up to Genesis uh, 25 is where we're going to start at today. But these historical narratives are stories that are told as part of biblical history. Okay, And what 1 Corinthians tells us, as Paul was writing, is that these stories, the biblical narratives, the, the story of God's faithfulness to his people are written down for a specific reason, to be an example for us. Right? Now, not all biblical examples are to be followed. Right? Some of you know this. Right? Not everything that is recorded as biblical history, it was there as a, hey, do this right? We're not supposed to emulate all of those things. In fact, what the writer of, of Corinthians goes on to tell us, what Paul goes on to tell us, is that actually a large part of the stories exist as a warning for us. Hey, don't do this. Hey, see what happens when you live in this way. And really, when we're talking about it this morning, we're going to be looking at a, a guy named Jacob. And Jacob... Um, Maybe you guys have heard about Jacob. We even, we even said his name in one of the, in one of the readings this morning. Um, answer this if you can. Jacob was the son of, anybody know Isaac? I heard it. Okay. And Isaac was the son of Abraham, right? Okay. And who was uh, Jacob's wife? You got one out of four chance here. <laughs> I heard of Rachel. I heard of Leah. Yeah. You got to get a Bilhah and a Zilpah out of there and, and you'll be all right. Okay. So, but we're going to talk a little bit more about the story because Jacob's design wasn't to have four wives and God's design for Jacob wasn't to have four wives. But Jacob here, um, 
we can, we can get to know him a little bit. Um, and part of what we're doing with the story of origins here with phase two is we want to see ourselves within these characters. Okay? What's going on in the life of Jacob that maybe looks a little bit like my life? Okay? So, you know, you might be a redneck if. You might be Jacob, like Jacob if um, you married the wrong person. Ooh, you ever said that? Now, my wife and I just celebrated our 17-year anniversary last Sunday, okay? But let me be honest for a minute. There have been times when we both looked at each other and said out loud, I think I might have married the wrong person. Any other married people experience that? When, you get, when times get difficult, there's a reason that the divorce rate is so high, okay? It's tough. There's a reflecting side of marriage, and we don't like to see our ugliness, and when our spouse reflects that back to us, we have an opportunity for redemption and refining and to become more like the, the image of our, our, the lover of our soul, Jesus Christ. That's what it's there for. It's part of the design for marriage. But there are those times when we, when we feel a tension there. You might be a Jacob if um, your family members deceive each other habitually to get what they want. And maybe, maybe you'll see a little bit of, of your life unfolding in Jacob's life. If you live with a second place mentality, I never get to first place. I'm always second. I'm always striving. I'm never good enough. You might see yourself in Jacob. If you, if you wrestle for your place in the world, if you feel like everything is a conflict and you're always trying to overcome and you are the poster child for an underdog, and you wrestle with your place in the world, you might find yourself in the story of Jacob. I think Jacob's life could be adequately kind of encapsulated, and even his family culture could be encapsulated in this small quote from Sir Walter Scott where he just says, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. This was the family life of Jacob. Okay, And the story of Jacob is where a culture of deception clashes with a culture of faith. It's where this culture of faith interrupts a culture of deception. There's generational sin that's going on. Okay, Jacob just didn't wake up one day and go, hey, I'm a deceiver. I'm a trickster. All right, That's kind of what he was known for. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But he was learned behavior. He saw his daddy do it. And his daddy saw his daddy do it. And when you read through the story of Genesis, you see over and over again the manipulation and the deception and the, and the, and the lack of faith and not trusting God. And yet in Hebrews 11, all of those three men and a whole bunch more people, ladies included, were called God's people, people of faith. Sometimes we call the Hebrews chapter 11 there the, the hall of faith. The Christian Hall of Fame, these are the people that against all odds persevered and, and God accounted to them as righteousness, these, these pieces of faith. Because the culture of faith, when it interrupts the culture of deception, the culture of faith, we're, we're known for those acts of faith where we follow God in obedience. Now, Jacob's story goes a little bit like this, okay? It started when he was a very young boy, as all stories do with young men here. He's in the womb. He's wrestling at birth. Now, if you look at Genesis 25, we actually get this prophecy where, um, where, where the younger will serve the older. 
And they didn't really know what was going on or what's this prophecy about. Um, Isaac's, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, there is, is wrestling here with, with having these babies in the womb. Ladies, my props to you, okay? All of you who have born children, um, it is a miracle. It is amazing. I thank God constantly that I am not a woman have to go through that. Um, uh, amen. Yeah, some of, you, some of you guys. Now, I mean, my, my wife is a rock star. We have four kids. Um, they're all born in June, and um, all of them were born naturally. The last three were born in our home. Um, my hands were the first hands on them. I delivered my kids, right? And, 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 and we kind of put myself in this position, in this story, and I, and I see what Rebecca's going through, and, and these kids are wrestling in her womb. She doesn't really know what's going on. You know, some of you, you've seen those, those kicks, you know, and the, and the foot comes out and it's like that impression is so solid. You can actually count the toes, right? You know, but these kids are just wrestling. She doesn't know what's going on. And, and she goes into labor and she has this prophecy and, and whew, one comes out. It wasn't probably quite like that. It was probably a little, <laughs> right. But, um, but, but, the, but the first one comes out and it is red and hairy and in and, and Hebrew, I mean, Sounds a little scary to me. You know, he just gave birth to a Sasquatch or something here. But um, red and hairy. And in Hebrew, a lot of times what they would do with these name, with naming their kids is they would name them visually. And so Esau comes out and Esau means red. Just that simple, right? Now, as Esau comes out, a hand is attached to Esau's leg. I bet they saw it and they're like, oh no, we got a mutant on our hands. Like what is happening here? Like... Yeah, what are we going to do? But, but then they realized that that hand was attached to an arm and that arm was coming out and another human being was following Esau and refusing to let go of his brother. I will not be second. You know, they were struggling and fighting. And any, any twins in the room? Any twins in the room? Got a few? Yeah. Which one's older? Yeah. Any, any tension with that? Any, any? Everyone, no, you're good? Okay. Yeah, all right. God will forgive you for lying later. Uh, <clears throat> no, but I, I was hanging out with some twins last weekend doing a wedding, and, and it was brother and sister, and, and the brother was like, I'm the older, and, and the sister's like, whatever. But he kept saying it over and over again, and he was lying. He wasn't the older, but, it, but there, was that, there was that tension, there's that vying. And that's what's happening with Jacob and Esau here is there's that vying as they're they're coming out of the womb. It starts right there at birth, right? He tricks, as life goes on, he he tricks, Jacob tricks his his older brother out of his birthright. Some of you guys know the story. Jacob is out hunting. He comes in. He's famished. Now, Esau was kind of like a wild man. I mean, red and hairy, it totally fit him. But this guy, he was out in the woods. He was a man of the field. He was a hunter. And he was just wandering around, and he comes in absolutely famished. And Jacob's, he's a little bit more of a quiet temperament. He's a homebody. He's just hanging around. He's just a quiet temperament. He hung out at the house, just lived in tents, just a quiet guy. Kind of polar opposites in the spectrum. We might in the 21st century call Jacob an introvert, you know. And yet he tricks his brother out of this birthright. The birthright was the firstborn got everything that daddy had. That was the birthright, right? That's what that meant. And, uh, and Jacob tricks his brother for, for a bowl of stew. Here, I'll feed you. 
not because you're my brother and I love you and we're family, but I'll, I'll feed you to get what I want, right? This deception, this manipulation. He has a revelation from God later on in a dream as now his very angry brother is seeking to take his life and plotting to kill him. And, and he runs away from his family life. And as he's on his way to another part of the country to, to find another section of their family, his uncle Laban, and to find a wife, now he's, he's alone. And at night he has this revelation. He has a revelation from God in a dream. We're going we're gonna to look about at that in a, in a couple minutes and just try to see what's going on with that. Another part of his story is, is as he comes in contact with his, with his brother Laban and, he, and, and, her da- and his daughter um, Rachel, he falls in love and he promises to work for Laban for seven years in order to earn her hand in marriage, right? But this is where that married the wrong person comes into play and, and, and Laban deceives him. Now, back in those days, they'd have these week-long celebrations, and, and on, the wedding, on the wedding day, bride would be completely veiled, unrecognizable, and she would come in, the marriage ceremony would go on, and then they would go into a tent to consummate their relationship while all of the family members outside just kind of clapped and cheered. Not weird at all, <laughs> right? So, but when... Jacob, when, when Jacob wakes up in the morning, it's not Rachel's eyes that he's looking into. It is her sister Leah's eyes that he's looking into. Now, the biblical record is, is, is that Rebecca was, was very beautiful. Whatever the image of beauty was in that day and time, she seemed to fit it somehow, right? It ebbs and flows and changes What's beautiful in one generation is different than what's beautiful in another. What's, well, what's beautiful in one century is different than what's beautiful in another. It ebbs and flows. It's, it's constantly elusive because it's not what we're supposed to be going for. And yet, the Bible records, she was beautiful. And, and Leah, in contrast, had soft eyes, which is kind of hard to look at. Some scholars would, would interpret that. She was not beautiful. And as he wakes up, you can imagine that disappointment that he felt. Not in her, but that she wasn't the one that he loved. Not dissatisfied with her as a, as a person or devaluing her, but just simply that all of his hopes and his dreams of what the future would hold and the, with the person that he loved, now all of a sudden didn't exist. And he goes in anger to Laban and is just like, what is going on Oh, I, I guess I forgot to tell you. We got this little custom in our country. Um, the oldest daughter has to get married off first. So good job. But to ease your suffering, just go through the week of ceremonies. And at the end of the week, I'll give you Rachel as a bride also. Every single one of us have some decision, something that has happened to us. An outside force, another person made a decision and that impacted the rest of our lives. They left us alone and we got into trouble. They made a decision and we lost our job. They made a decision and an investment and we went bankrupt. All of us have these moments in our life and where we have the challenge of, of faith that just says, well, what am I going to do and how am I going to live this out? Now, Jacob didn't really even have a relationship with God. 
at this point. He, he'd had just come a, a revelation. He'd seen a vision we're going to talk about. But it wasn't a two-way conversation that was going on here. All he had was this voice from God. And now his life was taking a huge turn. Well, another part of his story is in Genesis, 20, or Genesis 32 where, where he wrestles with God and he wins and he loses. We're going to look at that in just a second. And then a whole bunch more stuff happens. We just, there's too much in Jacob's life to kind of really encapsulate all of it. So we just want to take a, a time just to look at two small segments where he interacts with God. Okay? So last week, Pastor Eric was talking about Abraham, right? And we talked about covenant and this whole idea of God's blessing and God's promises. And this is what God told Abraham in Genesis 17. When Abraham was, was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. So in this interaction with, with Abraham, now God changes his name from Abram to Abraham and sets up this covenant and gives him this promise of blessing, right? Now, this is, this is gonna go on amongst the generations. So God actually showed up to Isaac and said the same thing. And now God is gonna show up to Jacob and say the same thing. And in, in Genesis 28, this is where he has really his first encounter with God. His first interaction with God where he really hears the voice of the Lord and it comes through, the, the, through a dream, all right? So in Genesis 28, it says, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. So this is when his brother's angry. He's escaping and he's heading towards Haran to get to his uh, uncle Laban. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the, for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and to lay down to sleep. And as he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the, heaven, from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. That's a pretty awesome promise, huh? It's pretty detailed, right? Now, Jacob has the opportunity to believe in, the, in this promise and to, S, and, to, and to invest in this or to just kind of like go on with his life. This is the first time that he's really hearing. And Jesus and, and God is, is kind of upping the, the, the blessing to the next level here. Hey, Abraham, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you a blessing to all people. You know, you're gonna have lots of descendants. But now, God extends it to all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And at the same time, he has this vision of this ladder 
going between earth and heaven. What, what is this? What's, what's happening here? And what, what Jacob is getting a vision of here is, is Jesus, right? This is a foreshadowing of Jesus in Jacob's life. This is a foreshadowing of, of the gospel of good news. And we know this because we can just jump into Jesus's life. And in John, he tells us, when I come back, what you're going to see is the son of man like a ladder with the angels going up and down, descending and ascending upon him, right? You get this, this picture of what's going on. And so what here is, what's happening here in Jacob's life is he's getting not just a promise of, of what's going to happen with him, but he's getting a heavenly picture. He's getting a vision of, of who God is. He sees the Lord. He hears his voice. Now, if you've ever had any kind of an engagement with God like that, where you're crying out, where you're in this place of desperation, he's running for his life. Maybe you're in that, that place of urgency. You're in that place of desperation. The bill needs to be paid, but you don't have the money. A wound needs to be healed, but nobody seems to know how to fix you. You're living with a perpetual illness. When you're in that place of desperation, the marriage is about to end and, and you don't know what to do. And in that, in that space, you just cry out. That's what's happened. He's cried out to God and God has given him a promise, something to hold on to. I believe truly that this is one of those promises that isn't just for Jacob, but that this is a promise that is for all of God's children. This is one of those things that we look at, we go, God wants to give all of us a vision of himself. God wants to answer all of our deepest fears. God wants us to see Jesus for who he is and to be able to walk in faith. And that's really what the blessing is about. Well, the next kind of section here that we want to look at as we just wrap up is Genesis 32. Because we don't want to leave Jacob just kind of in this place of, of wondering what's happening. Because God does, never leaves us with just the first step. He gives us enough of a step and enough of an instruction that we need in order to obey, right? Now, anybody out there want the next five steps before you obey? Yeah, some of us are like that, right? Okay, God, I get it. I'm tracking with you. I got the promise. That sounds good. Now just tell me what to do next and what to do next and what to do next. And, and then I'll decide if, if at the end of step five, your plan sounds good enough, then I'll take step one, right? right? It, but that isn't usually the way God works, is it? God's like, are you going to follow me? Are you going to trust me? Are you going to take that step? And a significant amount of time goes by here in, in Jacob's life. Now his, he's, he's spent 20 years with Laban. His flocks has, have grown. His family has grown. He, he went from being a man who walked into the country of Haran with a staff to a man that can now fill up two huge separate camps with his children, with his servants, with his flocks. Huge camps. Takes days to travel, right? And now he's in this, in this place because now he's escaping from his, his uncle Laban, who's been really an oppressor to him, who has tricked him over 10 times with his wages. Hey, I'll pay you this. I uh, know I won't. Hey, I'll pay you this. Uh, uh, actually, I'm going to pay you this. Anybody have an employer like that? One of those places where you're just like, I don't know if I can trust you. God, are you still faithful? 
I don't know if I can trust the people that are in authority over my life. Their, their, their actions, their decisions can influence me. God, I can't trust them. Can I still trust you? This is a great step of faith for every single one of us to take. Because in all of our lives, as much as we want to be in control and have areas of sovereignty, and we can make certain, certain decisions, we all have someone who has an area of sovereignty in our lives as well. And we have to reconcile that with our faith. We have to reconcile that and take it to that place that just says, you know what, ultimately God is in control. Ultimately, God is the one who knows steps one through five and way beyond. And my life can be safely found in his hands. Jacob's wrestling with this. And, and so in Genesis 32, we, we read, During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all of his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. And when the man saw that he could not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. And then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. And he replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. And the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. One of these kind of amazing stories where, where in this biblical narrative, you go, man, did this really happen? Like, who's, who, is, who is Jacob wrestling with? Jacob's commentary is he wrestled with God. He wrestled with a man, and he wrestled with God. Is this like WWF with, uh, with Jesus here? Is this MMA with Jesus? Like, what, what, what's happening here? And, and, and there's, no, there's nothing that really tells us, like, it was Jesus. But some people will go, this was, this was a Christophany. This is some place where we can see Jesus before Jesus was a man walking the earth in that segment, right? It, it, it's this weird thing that we kind of have to, have to wrestle with. But, but what Jacob believes is that the interaction that he has had is with God himself, this is a stranger, but for some reason, Jacob in his wrestling isn't just wrestling with some enemy where he's trying to overcome and defeat. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. Right? He believes that the person that he's wrestling with, the being that he wrestles with, has some authority in his life that can bring blessing into his life. You can understand how desperate Jacob is for blessing. You can understand how desperate my life is not going the way that I wanted it to. I started out as a young man and, and, I, and I was going to start my family and I got my bride and, and now that got all messed up. And now pieces of it are right, but, but I've, I've spent 20 years, my life is just not going the way that I want, wanted it to. Some of you guys have that story. 
You look at your life and, and, and you ever looked at yourself in the mirror or just when you're alone, just said out loud, how in the world did I get here? This isn't what I thought life was about. This isn't what I thought life was going to be. This is not what I planned for myself. And that's the desperation that Jacob is sitting here saying, I believe you, God. I take this step of faith. I want to be blessed. I want to know more. I'm hungry, like we were singing earlier. I want more of you. He's desperate, right? And it's in this place where he gets this name change. Now, I kind of geek out on on little etymology things in the, in the Bible sometimes. Sometimes I, uh, I mean, some of you, anybody else with a spiritual gift of nerdiness, you know, or you kind of, yes, yeah, I'm not alone. Good job. All right, Clay. Okay, so, um, but, but we, we kind of, I, when, I, when we start looking at this and seeing the name changes and what's going on, there's so much here. Okay, and real quickly as we wrap up, I just want, to, I want you to see Jesus all right in the midst of this. Because besides just being the latter, Okay, not besides just being the, the, the stairway to heaven, right? You know, we should just shred on that. Um, besides being the, 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 the bridge between God and, and us so that we can have a relationship, he's also the sacrifice. So we said, you know, Esau came out and he was red and hairy. And, and as he's coming out, Jacob is there holding on to his heel. And they looked at, at Jacob and the, and, the, and the word for heel in Hebrew is, is akev, okay? And it sounds like Jacob's name, Yaakov. And it also sounds like the word in Hebrew for deceiver. And so what, there were, what was happening here was this big play on words. They were using this, this akev word root, and they were wrapping it around, oh, he's trying to stumble his brother, He's trying to trick and deceive his brother, and he's grabbing onto his heel, which has the same root. And so they named him Jacob or Jacob or Yaakov. Right? Now, in the midst of this, what he's trying to trip up his brother with, as they talk about in Genesis 27, verse 36, is that he's trying to, to steal the birthright. Right? It was this foreshadowing the younger was going to rule over the older. Right? And so we have Jacob, Yaakov, tripping up his brother to steal the birthright, to steal the blessing. And if you jump back to Genesis 3, we get this beautiful picture of the foreshadowing of Jesus, right? Whereas as, as Adam and Eve just messed up and God comes and says, all right, everybody out of the pool, this is over, right? We're done here. And he begins to lay out the curses, I planned interaction and blessing, and now you're going to have to sweat and toil. I planned a life of communion and, and, and ease and relationship, and now childbirth is going to be really hard. I, I planned a, a, a life of, of truth and honesty and transparency, and now this deceiver has entered the world and tripped you up. And God's answer to the deceiver was a curse. And in foreshadowing Jesus, he said that there would be enmity between the seed of the woman and between the serpent, right? And that the serpent would strike the akev, strike the heel, right? But, but the serpent's head would be crushed. This is the blessing. 
woven all through the story of Jacob over and over, right down to the, the, the battle of, of, the, of the heel and, and the blessing, is the story of Jesus Christ, is, is the good news, right? It's this idea of this continual work that God wants to do in our lives. And if you fast forward to Genesis 35, God answers Jacob again and comes to him again and says, hey, remember, Jacob, your name is no longer Jacob. Now your name is Israel. And Israel means God fights. Or maybe another translation would be God governs. Governed by God. And this is the beautiful picture of what God has designed for his people, for you and I. Not to be governed by a president or by a mayor. Not to be governed by each other, but to be governed by God. To be in submission to his Holy Spirit that can truly bring us into unity. There is no unity found in man's terms. There is no, no unity found in a, in, in a, in a, in a governmental leader. Jesus Christ will be our only Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ is the only one that can bring forth the blessing. Jesus Christ is the only one that, that can bridge that gap, that can, that can give us the, the stairway to heaven, that can give us the sacrifice for our sins. And this is just one of the little pieces of what's going on in the story of Jacob. So wherever you see yourself, when I look at it, I, I, I see the wrestlings. I see God, when, when is my life going to turn out the way I planned it? And God's like, never. And that's such a gracious answer. Because as much as I like to think I have my best in mind, we really all know God alone knows what's best for us. Let's close in prayer. 